0: We'll consider the life of John the Baptist today on Abounding Grace. And Pastor Ed is quick to point out some of the lessons we can learn from it. We learn a lot of things from John's life.
1: And we want to be very, very careful. We want to respect and honor those that are serving in our lives, the Bible says. We want to give them the due respect. We want to honor those that serve over us, the Bible says. There's a lot of things, but one of the things we don't want to do is make the man or the pastor or the leader more important than the God that that man serves.
0: This is amazing grace. We'll oh, Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, comes Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. We're in the early going of a study of John's Gospel, and in chapter 1, we're introduced to John the Baptist. There are some noteworthy qualities in his life that Pastor Ed has observed, which are really found in any man or woman that God uses in a great way. The first is humility. When John was asked who he was, he identified himself
1: from the Word. He quoted a scripture here as Isaiah. He quoted this. He says, you want to know who I am? I am who Isaiah spoke of, which would be a good model for you and I to follow. Where you gain your identity, not in this world, not in what you do for the Lord, not in what your career is, not in how much money you make, not in how much you do or how much you don't do. Like, like for instance, let me give you an example. This is one you could take away right, right away and use right away. Somebody just asks you, you know, who are you? And they're, they're kind of asking like they are with John, trying to figure, out, figure you out and who are you? One of the things you could say spiritually, you could say this. You could say this by quoting a scripture of your own life. You could say, I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, that's yours. You could do the same thing as John. You identify yourself. And you know, Who are you? And, and maybe even the enemy comes knocking at the door. You know, your own mind's playing tricks on you. And you're starting to condemn yourself. And you're going, and who are you? Well, you know what? I, I'm a child of God. I, I'm loved of God. I, I, I'm, I'm, I belong to him. I'm saved. I'm a new creation. On and on, you could go through the Bible and look at your identity you can see your identity. But secondly, when he's asked who he is, not only does he use the Bible to describe himself, but secondly, he just claims to be a voice. He doesn't even claim in his humanity. He doesn't even go through his lineage. He doesn't, he says, I'm just a voice. I'm just a mouth. That's all I am. I'm just a mouth. You know, later on in John chapter 3, John the Baptist is also going to point to Jesus, and he's going to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. This humility has been woven into his life. I believe that it was a requirement for him to be used so greatly, and I even see it today in my own life. I see it with us in the church. I see this. To the degree that you recognize and are humble, it will be to the degree that God uses you. So it looks like this. The more humble you are, the more God will use you. You go, Ed, how can you say such a thing? Because the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God is always trying to point out different facets of our pride so that you and I will not be proud, prideful people, but humble, submissive people. And you have and I have the choice to either humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, and he will lift us up, the Bible says, or if we choose not to humble ourselves, God will do it for us. To bring us to a place of humble dependence. So in verse 21, back in John, he, they ask him, are you Elijah? And you go, why? why would they ask him if he's Elijah? Well, they're looking at the scriptures according to Malachi chapter 4. It's promised that Elijah will come before, he will come as a messenger before the coming of Messiah. And so he says, no, I'm not Elijah. But later John will be called Elijah by Jesus himself. But he's not calling him the literal Elijah. He's pointing out to us that John is a picture, a type of Elijah who will come before Jesus' second coming. But he says, I'm not Elijah, I'm just John. I'm not Elijah. How about that next one they ask him, are you the prophet? Most likely, he's referring, you can jot it down, Deuteronomy chapter 18 There's a reference. Well, let's turn over there. We haven't really turned to anywhere today. So let's turn over to Deuteronomy 18 for a second, all the way to the left. This was a question referring to the scriptural prediction that a prophet would come, capital P. Are you the prophet that was promised? And so in Deuteronomy 18, pick up there in verse 14, well, actually in verse 15, it says... In Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Now, in the New King James, if that's what you're reading from, you'll notice that the, they, they capitalized the word prophet. And they did that. Now, there's no capitalization in the, in the Hebrews. So they did that in the English in order to point out to us this is a special prophet, a prophet that is coming that is, he says, like me from your midst, from your brother and him you shall hear. This prophet is Deity. This is a prophet, capital P. This is the coming of the Lord. So he again is repeating, I'm not the Christ, and I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the promised prophet. He's still to come. And instead, what does he say? He says, I'm a voice. You know, when you're able, humility, a great definition of humility is, is a right understanding of who I am from God's perspective. We we live in a culture and we've been raised in a culture that emphasizes self, self, self. As a matter of fact, from an early age, it was imposed upon you that you were the most important person on the planet Earth. Everything revolved around you. Everything was taken care of. And then in the educational system, there was all about taking care of self and make sure that everything is built up about self. And and while there are many great values to understanding um, the value of a human being and valuing human beings, when self is continually hammered into your life, you become a self-centered, selfish person. That's what happens. And you're faced with the reality when you hear the gospel being preached, and I realize this as a pastor because even some of you are wrestling with, man, I'm not selfish. Hey, it's just something for you to take between you and the Lord because the reality is is that when you're focused, when the focus is all about you and taking care of all your needs and making sure everything's fine with you, and, and we're, kind of, we're kind of brought into this, then we're faced with the, with the claim of Jesus. And Jesus says, here's how to fix that. Here's how to follow me. He says, if you really want to follow me, if you really want to have a relationship with me, if you really want to, you go, of course I want to follow you, Jesus. What does it take? And you go, if you really want to follow me, then Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, deny yourself. And that's so diametrically opposed to how we've been raised and how we've been taught, just culturally, not necessarily in our family, but just culturally, to make sure that you're the one that's taken care of, your needs are met. It really doesn't matter how you relate to other people as long as you, as long as I, And I need to continually remember that at the cross is a place of denial. I mean, even Paul would say it this way. The Holy Spirit would say it through Paul to the church in Philippi. He would say it this way. Jesus says, deny yourself. And then Paul would say, to esteem others better than yourself. Flip it around. That's the way of the kingdom. To serve others, not to be served, Jesus would say. If you really want to be great in God's kingdom, then be the servant of all. Not if you really want to be great in the kingdom, get them as many servants as you can. The Bible says you really want to be great, then you become the chief servant because that's the model that Jesus has given to us. Now, let me, let me just say this. We, we embrace this, we, we want to follow Jesus, we want to deny ourselves, but this is not just a decision you can make and follow through in your own strength. It's not going to happen. You're just not going to be able to say, okay, Ed, okay, uh, I'll think about it all day today, and and it's it's going to be good. And then tomorrow morning, I'm just going to wake up in the morning, and I am going to will this decision. God, I just commit right now, I'm going to deny myself, and I am going to serve others, and I'm going to think of others more than myself. And then you get out of bed. And you hear that the shower's on. And the pattern has been in your home, that the shower on means there's probably not going to be hot water for you. And so what do you do? Well, now you got a battle because you're like, man, I need some hot water. I don't want to take a whole shower. I'm tired of this. I just said, don't take a, I just told him not to take long showers. And there you are. And you have the temptation to go over to the wall and go, hurry up. Oh, hey, I thought, I, I thought you're going to steam others better than yourself. Why don't you just go over to the door and say, take as long a shower as you want. Just take all the hot water. I give it to you. I don't have any problem with taking cold. No, you won't do it. But you get through the shower thing, and then you get go downstairs. You get in your car, and, oh, you're going to esteem everybody better than yourself. (laughs) Of course you are. I mean, if you're really going to do it, then just, just go on, on I-25 and just pull over to the side. And as the cars are passing, you go, the road is yours. The road is yours. I'll just wait for you, God. No, no, no. See, it, it requires it requires a real work of the Holy Spirit so that you know, imagine that whole scenario in the house. Imagine just a house of believers and, and that person that was normally taking the, the hot showers, no, they're they taking all the hot water. They're just kind of praying and the, as they're praying, the Lord says, you know, take a short shower today because you're going to bless your family and as you're praying you're like no lord you know i don't care about the shower anymore but because they were praying and seeking the lord they gave you the hot water and there you are praying just surrendering it and god blessed you with the hot water and before you know it in the spirit he is able he is able to bring you into a place of unity where you're just really loving god and loving other people you can't just decide this You can't just say, I'm going to do this. Now, it's a great decision to commit yourself to the Lord in this area. It's a great decision to pray through it in this area. But it's not something you can work up in your flesh. It's not something you can work up in your humanity. You you don't want to get better and better at esteeming uh, people, others better than yourselves. You want to get better and better at submitting yourself to God. And he'll empower you. You want to measure it by your commitment to denying yourself and following Jesus. And in his spirit, he will live his life out through you. It's so powerful. It's so wonderful, this humility of John. I mean, John could have answered a lot of things, but he's just a voice. He's just a voice. I'm just a voice. It says in verse 24 back in John 1 that the people that came to him were of the Pharisees. And then they asked him, verse 25, Why then do you baptize if you're not Christ, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It's he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose." Just more humility. The sandal strap, you know, dealing with, as we've learned in the passage where Jesus washes the feet, dealing with any of the feet and sandals is the lowest of the lowest servants' responsibility in a home in ancient Israel. And he goes, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest of the lowest servant to this man that's coming. You got all your attention on me, but it's not about me. I'm just a voice. Now, we've learned so far in John that John, John, the author of the gospel, referred to Jesus as the word, the Logos. So Jesus is the word, but John was a voice. And it's true, church. The message is always more valuable and more important than the messenger. Jesus, the word, is more important than John, the voice. And we, as we leave with a great message the message of the gospel, the good news that your sins can be forgiven and your life can be made right with your creator, that God loved you so much, this message, that God's love is so great for you that he sent his only son Jesus to die for you in your worst condition. I mean, you can, you can think up the worst condition in your life, but God knows even more because he knows the heart of the matter. In your worst condition, Jesus was sent to die for you so that by faith in him, you could be born again your life can be changed and your sins can be forgiven the message that we preach is always greater than we as messengers here's the problem what do we do what are we prone to do with the messengers that come with it with the good messengers that come with a great message i'll tell you what we're prone to do we're prone to take messengers and to put them on pedestals to think of them more important than they really are to give them more attention than the message itself. We tend to take the messengers and we put them in a category or we put them in a place where we they don't belong. They're just men and women with a great message. They're just a voice. That's it. Just an instrument. The one that holds the instrument is always more valuable than the instrument itself. The one that can use it and apply it. We don't want to put anyone on a pedestal because the church of Jesus Christ is not about the messenger. It's about the message. The church of Jesus Christ isn't about the voices. It's about the word. It's the message. It's the gospel of Jesus. Why do we put messengers on pedestals? Why do we make far too much out of people giving the message than the message? I can tell you a few reasons, and, and, and I've, I've made this mistake myself. You see, when God uses someone in your life in a great way, when God uses a voice to take the message which really transformed your life, we tend to give credit to the messenger because we appreciate them see there's nothing wrong with appreciation and there's nothing wrong with you know saying to someone thank you for God using you or thank, there's nothing wrong with appreciation but there's a lot wrong with putting a pers- a man or a woman in a place where they don't belong putting them in a place of prominence or imp- more importance than the message itself and so between you and I, I would just ask you in any way, don't put me on a pedestal. Just enjoy the message and let's serve together. I'm fulfilling the call of God in my life just like I want you to fulfill the call of your God in your life. And so be careful not to put people on pedestals. You know, one of the things, one of my pet peeves, and I'm not sure if you do this or not, but if you do, uh, you probably won't anymore after I share this. And that is, I really don't like it when people refer to churches by, you know, that's pastor so-and-so's church. Uh, or if you're asking, you know, somebody's asking about this church and you respond, well, I go to Pastor Ed's church. You're wrong. This is not Pastor Ed's church. This is where Pastor Ed goes to church, but this is not Pastor Ed's church. You can call it Calvary. You could call it Calvary Aurora. You call it Calvary Chapel. You can call it that big box on the corner. You can call it a lot of different things, but it's not Pastor Ed's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And so when someone's referring to a church, be careful. He's going, well, you go over to, And, and believe me, I recognize that it could just be language. It's not anything personal. But you can see even how we start to identify a particular congregation by the man that God's using instead of a particular congregation as the work of Jesus Christ among us. It's just that simple. And it could be very innocent and no problem. You know, it would have no ulterior motives whatsoever. But the reality is that when John, when John the Baptist comes on the scene and he's being used in such a great way, and and I have a responsibility also not to be put on a pedestal, you have a responsibility not to put me on a pedestal, I have a responsibility not to let you put me on a pedestal, it goes both ways, he just answers, hey, I'm a voice, that's all I am, I'm just a voice. And I could say that as well in the role of the ministry. You know, the Bible says there are hands and there are feet and there are also voices. And because the voices seem to get more prominence or because we have this relationship, I'm facing you more than you're facing the rest of the congregation. It's very easy. It's very easy to have that kind of relationship to say, well, that pastor... It must be, and then you fill in the blanks, when you reality that pastor is a man just like you, serves the Lord, loves Jesus, and we don't want to put anyone on pedestals. I don't care how much God uses them, how many thousands of people are reached through their ministry. They're just a voice, and more important than the voice is the God of the message in that voice. So remember that from John's life. We learn a lot of things from John's life. And we want to be very, very careful. We want to respect and honor those that are serving in our lives, the Bible says. We want to give them the due respect. We want to honor those that serve over us, the Bible says. There's a lot of things, but one of the things we don't want to do is make the man or the pastor or the leader more important than the God that that man serves. In verse 28, it says, These things were done in Betharborah, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So let me just give you a couple things before we head out. About... John, I'm not going to develop them, but they could be their own message again. A lot of these elements, you know, we see his humility. We we see his servanthood. But let me give you a couple more things just to consider about John that you can pray about this week. Number one, when we see John's life, we see a man filled with the Holy Spirit. We see a man filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke, in Luke's gospel, we read that John was filled from the Holy Spirit from his youth. We even read in Luke's gospel that that when Jesus came into the proximity of John in the womb, that John, the baby in the womb, because life begins at conception, when he was in the womb, he was fully alive. The Bible says that he leaped within the womb. He was filled with the Spirit. The Bible says in another place, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So important that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. And that's what made John so strong. That's how he could be humble. That's how he could refuse the pedestal. That's how he could chart out on a path that wasn't like his dad, but it was fully fulfilling God's will in his life. Number two, we see John as a man who was consistent and uncompromising. He was just one of those guys. That was his personality, but it was also the Spirit of God in him that even later when Herod picks him up and arrests him, he didn't try to butter Herod up. He didn't try to get out of it. As a matter of fact, his relationship with Herod ended with his head being cut off. John the Baptist. I mean, that was a martyr standing up for the truth and losing his life. And another thing, number three, that we see in John the Baptist's life is that he was constantly, continually pointing people to Jesus. Jesus sidestepping anyone that would give him any attention and no i'm a voice i'm the one crying in the wilderness i'm the one that's making this way straight for the real important one to come i'm not the important one and he was just had a habit you'll notice we'll be we'll come back to john many many other times until he's martyred of just watching you know he john was the one that said behold the lamb that takes away the sins of the world we're going to see more and more john's humility john's faithfulness john's availability Um, just watching him leave. So there's a lot to learn in our study. It's just really good that God would give us this picture of, of John as he reveals just the spiritual qualities of a man, a woman that God wants to use.
0: Thank you for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. So, Pastor Ed, as you look back on your life and how God has personally used you, what comes to mind?
1: Well, you know, this question is, is a big one uh, because it helps me to remember the power of God in my life. And I can go a lot of different directions with this, but I think what comes to mind first is the radical work of God in my life, making me a better man, a better husband, a better dad, a better son. How has God used me? He has transformed me into a different person. And for those that don't didn't know me, which many, you know, there are still few I grew up with, went to school with, went to high school with. Did a lot of bad things with. They know me. My wife, of course, knows me. My son, Eddie, before he went home to be with the Lord, knew me in a small way as a young, you know, as a kiddo, uh, the old Ed. But there's just really no description of how bad the old Ed was, except to say I literally was delivered from the pit. And to think of how God changed me as a husband so that I could learn to love my wife. And here we are, married 32 years later how God would use me and change me to be a better husband, to be a better parent, and loving my son Eddie. And then, of course, on to my son Josh and my daughter Katie and looking at how transformative God has used me to love them, serve them, encourage them in the Lord. It's unbelievable to think of how in the last days, you know, in the latter days, of my parents' lives, uh, seeing them come to faith in Christ in a real born again way, not just a religious way, and to have the privilege of my dad calling me every night, or excuse me, every Wednesday, or every I would call him on Wednesday, sorry, and he would call me one day of the week with Bible questions, with his Bible open, and say, "What does this mean?" and what, and and then to be able to care for them in their in their later years and to take care of them, and man, I mean, I could think of a lot of ways where God his evidence of his power in my life is there but nothing more than man, my family uh, my wife my kids and you know we could talk all day couldn't we larry my church family being here in aurora but all the time i got to serve in downey i mean it's all about people connecting with people and for a person that was very destructive very self-destructive very hurtful to those that loved him just a a real drain on society to see god do a work. As we see multiple times, right? I'm, no, I'm nothing special. My story is one of billions. The, the real hero is God. He's the focus of the true story of his work using all of us. So let's keep him the hero and keep following him all the days of our lives. God bless you.
0: That is very encouraging. Thanks for sharing. We're really excited about this month's offer. It's a book written by Chuck Smith. It's Love the More Excellent Way. We say and sing that love makes the world go around, that love is the answer, and all you need is love. But what is love, really? And why is it so hard for so many to find? That and more is explored in Love the More Excellent Way. And we'll send it your way with a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed. And your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We'll return to the Gospel of John next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace.